Media Studios, deep inside a secret underground bunker. We're speaking to freedom-loving patriots from all around the country and the world. Welcome to the Resistance. Well, hello there, everyone. We're going to do something really, really cool here. Basically, I switched browsers, so I got a little bit delayed, but I am on. Hopefully, I sound okay. Because if not, then, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay, I think your intro is too loud. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> G-Webs, you're too old. I'm just joking. I love you. Uh, my name is John Crump, and we are sponsored by Tusk. We're gonna, I'm going to drop a video on the other channel in a second here. So let's go ahead and say hi to Tusk. Proudly sponsored by TUSC, the only cryptocurrency designed with the firearms market in mind. With three-second processing times, it's the fastest cryptocurrency on the planet. On the planet. With lower transaction fees than traditional credit cards, it's perfect for your e-commerce needs. For gun guys, buy gun guys. Visit TUSC.network for more information and join the digital revolution. And we are back here uh, on the channel. For some reason, I don't look perfect. Let me go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just, I have no idea. Uh, I don't know. Do I look okay? Maybe it's my thing. I don't know. Let's bring on Rich and everyone else. Rich, how are you doing, buddy? Hi, John. Let's brought, go ahead and bring on Cape Gunworks. <laughs> and our guest, Toby from Cape Gunworks. How are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can yeah, hear you good. just fine, buddy. Great. So I, I want to start this out before you get too deep in that. I'm going to drop a video. The ATF is coming for you if you own a rare pre trigger. Just to let you guys what? know. I I can't understand that. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's uh, definitely drop a video. Yeah, um, interesting, right? <laughs> hmm. Remember how I told you that they, they were telling people to pin them in bags and smash them? Yeah. Or they were going to tell people that. Yep. And take pictures. They're telling yep. people pin them in the bag and smash them and take pictures. Whoa! <laughs> and when they all get the same picture, is that okay? <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just smash something like walnuts and be like, oh, it, it, it's actually a rubbery trigger. I don't know why it looks that way. Can I 3D print a rubbery trigger and smash it? Yeah, there's some other 3D printing news, but let's go ahead and talk to uh, Toby really fast. Toby, tell us about yourself. Hey guys, well, thanks for having me on. I'm Toby Leary. I'm co-founder of Cape Gunworks here in Hyannis, Massachusetts, behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about Massachusetts gun laws, but they're not very good. And so we're always struggling to, you know, uh, give the people what they want, yet stay uh, compliant, which is a muddy, muddy waters around here. So it's it's tough to uh, do business in this state, but on the other hand, it's where we live. I get all the time people say, you're crazy for owning a gun store in Massachusetts. And I say, well, what the heck? This is where I live. This is where my roots are. This is my family. So we uh, put down deeper roots, if you will, when we started Cape Gunworks about eight years ago. And uh, we've been, we started off as a little mom and pop store with the idea and the plan to open a state-of-the-art facility with a indoor range and a big training classroom if you will and put on a lot of classes have a great pro shop and so that kind of went into full effect about six years ago five years ago really um, when we opened but uh, <clears throat> so we've been able to do that and we're operating out of a 20,000 square foot facility now and uh, with 15 lanes indoor range rated up to 50 bmg and we have a good time with that. We have a great staff. And uh, so we're happy to be here doing that. And it, over the past year and a half, if you will, when COVID shut everybody down in this area, we started to get more involved with uh, 
you know, doing live streams and Facebook live and Instagram and YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. And cause people just wanted to know what the heck was going on. And so we were able to communicate directly with people that way. And it's kind of evolved into a radio show and a, and a podcast, so to speak. But, uh, and so we're having fun doing that and kind of being a out there and a multi-piece for our industry in Massachusetts. And so that's, uh, that's what we've been after and doing hard, for the last couple of years and, and uh, enjoying every minute of it and really love where it's taken us and some of the opportunities and doors that it's opened for us as well. So that's basically it in a nutshell. So in, in Afghanistan to carry, what do you have to do? Well, this is a great uh, example of it, but basically what you have to do is you, you have to take a four hour class first, if you're going to buy a gun of any kind. Then you have to decide whether you want an FID card, which allows you to buy uh, basically low capacity rifles or shotgun. But if you want to buy a pistol, you need to obtain a license to carry. So you take a four hour class. Then when you get a certificate for that, you can apply at your local police department. And depending on the mood of your chief or, you know, where he feels politically, whether or not you should have a gun, he is the sole, you know, arbiter of whether or not you get a unrestricted license to carry, or um, maybe you just get stuck getting an FID card, or you you can get an unrestricted license to carry as well. Um, and then that process takes about two to three months to get it. Done. Wow. Even though it takes, even though the state law says that it, they must respond within 40 days. So they haven't mm -hmm. really held up to that. And they almost laugh in your face when you say, hey, uh, I thought you're supposed to respond within 40 days. They're like, <laughs> You know, but anyway, on the application, you have to give three references. You have to state why you want a license to carry. You have to um, get fingerprinted, photographed, and, and then extensively background checked by the state and by the local government. And then after you've jumped through all those hoops and paid a $100 fee, your card will be issued either unrestricted or with restrictions like targeted hunting only or target shooting or you know, they can restrict it for whatever reason they want. And then wow. uh, once, yeah, once they issue that, then you can purchase a gun. You're still subject to all the, you know, the background check of the 4473, even though our law is more stringent than the federal law, we would technically be exempt from needing to do 4473s because everyone's got that license to carry card. But Massachusetts made it a state law that you still have to go through that whole federal process. But um, so, yeah, that's basically the, the, easy peasy process of getting your license to carry here in Afghanistan. And uh, so, all right. Is, is Massachusetts a shall issue or a may issue state? It's, <laughs> it's a shall issue on wow. an FID card, but a may issue when it comes to the license to carry. So wow. we're, we're all kind of holding our breath for that, you know, New York state pistol and rifle club versus Bruin hoping that, you know, the, the May issue side of things gets kind of struck down. Well, so. I, I'm a refugee from New York living in Florida. And, uh, you know, in New York, there's almost no chance you're going to get a carry permit. Right. Unless you, you're rich. Meaning wealthy, not me. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, so my, my flight instructor owns an auto parts store and he actually has to go every year and show that he makes cash deposits at the bank. And that's why he needs a carry permit. Yeah. It, it's not like, so I did wedding photography in New York and video and I'd be carrying around, you know, 20, 30, 50 grand worth of equipment that, that didn't count. It had to right. be cash which was nuts. And I, I've said the story a couple of times. I was working as a consultant in uh, Minneapolis and I got my first carry permit in the state of Minnesota. And as a non-resident, Minneapolis is Hennepin County, which, you know, you'll, I, I think it's a shall issue, but the sheriff waits to the absolute last day that he can mm. to send it out and approve it. And if you didn't cross a T or dot an I, he's going to send it back. You know, there, and he's also going to charge more than anybody else. So as a non-resident, I was able to go to another county that had a friendly sheriff that wanted to give permits that like 
almost as soon as you filed the form that later that day, the paperwork was getting approved mm. and he charged less, mm. which was crazy. And now I live in Florida, which it, not only is it a good state to be in, but it's a good state to get a non-resident permit because of reciprocity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We offer the class here all the time for that. Like people who want to travel and whatever, we do the Florida non-resident class. So mm -hmm. they get that reciprocity in the Utah, of course, but uh, the Florida is great because then you can carry in Utah and we have a ton of snowbirds from our area for sure. head down. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those processes and it actually can get even worse than I described because some towns require live fire. They want the four hour class isn't enough. They say, oh, well, you got to do live fire class. Mm -hmm. So some some towns you have to take a live fire class and other towns, the chief requires a sit down with him and a face to face. Oh. And like that can take two months in the planning, like, oh, well, the chief can see you next you know, two months from now on Thursday at three 30 in the afternoon. And, wow. and uh, then you sit down with him and he says, so why do you want a license to carry? And it's like, uh, my damn right. Yeah, I know. It's like, because I can, I don't know. What are you asking me for? I was reading this thing called the bill of rights and it sounded right. interesting to me. And then if he doesn't like your answer, he can say, well, I don't think you need it for personal protection. So we're just going to restrict you to target and hunting. And I, I don't mean to be a complete dick here. I've never needed a gun for protecting anybody I know, but I'd rather have it and not need it. You know, just. I, so it, it would be tough. Like if somebody said, well, why do you need it for personal protection? I'd be like, shoot, I don't know. I don't like, have a team of ninjas stalking me at the moment, but just in right. case, right? <laughs> like, why do you right, need I, it for personal protection? Why do you have to be such a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Good answer. That would wrap up the, the meeting pretty quick, I'm sure. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, that's it's ridiculous. You know, it's like, let me ask a question. Do I have to do this? If I'm going to give a speech at the college, do I have to go through the same process? Do I have to do this so that the police don't kick down my door in the middle of the night for no reason whatsoever? Do I have to do this, you know, for if I want to go vote? Do I have to take a class, pay a fee, get fingerprinted, background checked? Oh, uh, you're you talking know, about your other constitutional rights? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> curious. Like, why are we singling but, this out? You know, but we all know it's easier to get a gun than a book or a salad. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, I, I forgot to make an announcement at the very beginning. Uh, we are going to join the Firearms Radio Network. Yay. What? Cool. Forgot to tell you. What? Dude, you whisper in my ear a little something and I don't hear that? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you earlier that. Well, you said we may. It. Yeah. You well, said it might be. Yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely joining the Firearms Radio Network. So does that mean we're not going to be able to say whatever we want? We can say whatever we want. What about all the bad words we say most of the time when we have Richard Hoffman on? Uh, well, I would rather have Richard Hoffman on and he comes with those bad words. <laughs> well, cool. That's cool. We are, we are very PG-13 show. Unless we're, we we're like Richard a shall Hoffman. issue PG thirteen. Yeah, or is it uh, May and, issue? And, until until we have Richard Hoffman on, then, then we're a May issue with Richard because he's like <laughs> he's got a he's got a blistering vocabulary, huh? Oh yeah, oh. yeah. Oh, you you're not familiar with the Hoff? <laughs> not yet. I'll have to. I often make the joke that someday I want to get him liquored up so I can really hear what his opinions are without him holding back. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Hoffman is uh, he, he he's cool. So for all those that don't know, um, so does that mean no retirement? No, a hundred K says I'm done. I'm out. I'm punching out, guys, on my other channel. Probably still do this one. No, but uh, for those that don't know, our friend Shooting Gallery New England works for Cape Gunworks. True story. And he's naming one of his triplets after you, Toby. 
<laughs> I would be honored. I would be honored. <laughs> wait, wait. Does Toby know the video? Uh, I I don't know. Joe's gonna kill me if I play it. it it's a done deal. Joe, Rich, definitely don't play kill it. You. Commander Brown, Detroit Urban Survival Training. Congratulations to Joe and his wife on triplets. That's amazing. That's gonna be a lot of. It's a lot of amazing that you guys are gonna work together because it's gonna be a lot. That's uh, wow. Uh, wow. So as far as uh, what John let me know, and that is that you're in a furry club. So here's the thing about a furry club. I'm not sure what a furry club is. I think you meant fury club. When you have triplets, that will be enough fury. You will not be any extra clubs for fury. We're going to have to cut that out. That intelligent option will increase survivability and success and happy triplets and marriage situation. No fury or furry, no clubbing, just stay home. Wondering why someone blames this on the John weird, blames this fury club or furry club, whatever. <laughs> John blames this on uh, Jared uh, Giannis. It was Jared. <laughs> That's priceless. No, it definitely was Jared, though. So, so you've been in business for a while, and you have a really popular uh, uh, gun store. What are some of like the biggest hurdles you have in Massachusetts? The is it government? Is it the people around you saying we don't want a gun store? No, you know what? It was very interesting when we decided to open the gun store. Um, we actually, other than the usual steps you got to go through, we didn't really have too, too much trouble. Uh, the town didn't want to give us a permit for the location we were going, but our lawyer was like, uh, it's zoned for retail. So if you can't sell shoes there, I mean, if you can't sell guns there, you can't sell shoes there. So you got a shoe store on the road. It's the same thing. So. He was able to get So was that the lawyer called up or was that you had to go to court? I no, I just had him write a letter, an opinion letter to the uh, okay. to the building inspector who issues the 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 license, the business license. And he was retiring and had some pressure on him from some of the board members of this district that we were in and they were all kind of like, "Oh, a gun store, you know. This is right after Sandy Hook and and uh, you know, oh, it, it wasn't a, the timing. Yeah, so timing-wise, it was like they didn't really want a gun store. And we didn't want to open the type of gun store that we were opening, but we knew we couldn't sell the big dream to a bank until we at least had a customer or two, you know what I mean? Like we had to get some momentum going. So we opened the little, you know, 1,500 square foot uh, regular old storefront gun store that you see everywhere in America knowing that we wanted to build this facility and we hung a we started looking for a big building and we tried to sell the dream to banks and they were kind of like yeah right kid come back you know when you grow up like th there was no chance a bank was going to finance it until hmm. until we had some serious momentum we we knew that the secret sauce was just taking care of customers like i think we all know gun stores that you know, you walk in and you're like, what am I going to get? You know, am I going to get the guy sitting on the stool with his arms crossed and kind of, you know, like inconvenienced that you asked to look at a gun? Or am I going to get someone who's happy to see me and wants to, a little small talk and wants to help you into a gun? So we knew we just had to take care of the customer and the rest would kind of take care of itself. And that's what we did. And we ended up having a very good, I would say, customer base. And then we sold the dream directly to the customer base. We said, look, we, we want to build this state-of-the-art range. We, we know our area needs this. We want to be a resource for our state and our community and be a good uh, example of what a responsible gun owner is in the community and have a good, safe, well-lit, modern place to shoot. And I think if you're for guns or against guns, how can you at least be against that premise and say, Oh yeah, we'd rather people out in the backyard shooting or, you know, pulling up to the power lines and setting up a target just to sight in their gun for, you know, hunting season or go to a state-of-the-art 
indoor facility that's got instructors on site that can help with that. So not to say we don't agree with people's right to be able to go out in the woods and shoot, but we were also, we knew what area we live. You know, we know that this isn't Texas. So, um, so basically what we did was we sold the dream to the people and they supported us. We pre-sold a bunch of memberships. They, they bought in and uh, we were able to secure a building and get financing. And um, that, that was really the, uh, the, the start of what, what we have today. So we knew also that it was probably not the smartest business idea to build this store where we are because we're kind of a dead end street in, in that if you look at the map of the United States, Cape Cod is the arm that sticks out in the middle of the water. We're a peninsula. And so you have to like be purposefully going there or the local community has to support us. And we only have 200,000 people that live in a 15 mile radius. Whereas if we had just gone 45 minutes North, we would have 2 million people that live in a 15 mile radius. So, but again, it's all about where we were going to put down roots and open our flagship location. And we did it even though knowing that, you know, we're very limited on demographics of how many people, but the community has supported us amazingly. The biggest hurdle though, was when we were about to open, we felt like town politics starting to really put the hammer down on us. And, um, you know, we, we worked through it, uh, cost a lot of money to work through it, but we started to get tortured at the end where we felt at the beginning, they kind of rolled out the red carpet, but then toward the end, right before we opened, they kind of tortured us a little bit, but we made it through. And, uh, <laughs> so, and now the ongoing issues or obstacles are obviously the state we live in. We have magazine capacity. We have certain guns we can and can't sell. And the most restrictive is we have a, a firearms roster similar to California of what handguns we can and can't sell. And they have to meet two different criteria. They have to go to a testing lab, pass all that. And then they have to meet the attorney general's regulations, which isn't even law. It's just their regulations. And uh, once they meet all those criteria, we can then sell them. Uh, and so, so is that you can have like Gen 3 Glocks, but not Gen 4 or Gen 5? Is It's actually Gen 2. We're all the way back to Gen, <laughs> Gen 2 Glocks. Yeah. Are you serious? Gen 2? Did... Gen, Gen 2 or earlier. In some cases, Gen 2 and a half, because it... It was right when uh, the, I think it was 1998 is when the cutoff date was. So um, yeah, it was, it's when the approved weapons roster kind of came in. And the funny thing is, here's a perfect example of the two different lists of guns, if you will. The Gen 4s and 5s are actually on the approved weapons roster for Massachusetts, but they don't meet the attorney general's regulations. And well, especially the Gen 4 doesn't because they don't consider the extractor a loaded chamber indicator, even though it is. They changed that with the Gen 5 and they actually call it a loaded chamber indicator. But Glock has been once bitten and now they're twice shy. So they won't send an affidavit to the attorney general's uh, office and say that the gun now meets the attorney general regulations. So we still can't sell Glocks to civilians only to law enforcement who are exempt from the attorney general's regulations. And the worst part is if you call the attorney general's office and say, Hey, can you send me the list of guns that I can sell in the state? They're like, uh, there's no such list. I'm like this. I did this when I first became a gun dealer and I'm like, wow, what do you mean? There's no list. And they're like, yeah, there's no list. It just has to meet our regulations. And I'm like, but that's ridiculous. And they're like, we know, but good luck with that. And they're like, oh, manufacturers know what guns can and can't be sold in mass. And I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. You're setting me up for failure. Imagine that the government setting you up for failure. So they, they have top secret rules. I mean, they obviously have a list because if, if a Gen 5 Glock is on the list but not approved, they, they obviously 
that seems to be the number one item. Like this goes back to 98 when our attorney general, like they there's and gun owners action lead, the kind of the affiliate of the NRA here, the state organization that really tries to hold the government accountable, paid $80,000 for freedom of information act uh, as it, as it relates to this approved weapons roster. And they found that all of the, back channel emails between, you know, these government officials and everything had nothing to do with trying to keep people safe. It was just a way of doing a backdoor gun ban. And that's what the evidence showed. And so um, they weren't at all interested in like, uh, you know, actually keeping the consumer safe under the Consumer Protection Act. That's what they cite. But it was more... It was more, <laughs> what's the most popular gun in the world? Oh, Glock is? All right, so we got to go after Glock. So they didn't want Glock to be sold because it would naturally reduce the amount of guns that could be sold in the state. And so um, that seems to be the number one gun that they're really, you know, hard after. If, if we were to start selling Glocks tomorrow, I'd be getting a call from the attorney general's office. If I was to sell some other gun that's, you know, off the list, if you will, they may or may not even pick it up because they don't know what they're doing. They're not gun people, uh, but they, you know, they they really know to look out for the capital G Glock. That's the one thing you can't sell, you know. So it's, that's it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. So uh, we got a now, question. Oh, yeah. you're skipping people's questions, man. Oh, okay. Uh, so G Webs is asking. Uh, Toby does a good job describing the situation in Afghanistan. And how it got that way, what is the best case solution to remove, repeal the bad laws? Well, I think that right now, Firearms Policy Coalition has filed a lawsuit challenging the legality of the, uh, this approved weapons roster, which I think is great because um, it isn't until like someone articulates, like, especially under, I think it was Heller or McDonald, I get him confused. I don't know which one that said that the, the gun that is com in common use and ordinary is the gun that the people should be allowed to own. And so, Heller. yeah, Heller. Okay. So under that one, um, it's pretty obvious that Glock is probably still the number one gun in America. Maybe they've been knocked off the pedestal, but even still, it's one of the most popular guns. So it's definitely meets the criteria of common and ordinary. And so under that alone, we should be able to challenge the fact that my rights are being restricted by this, you know, law that really doesn't do anything to keep anybody safe. And it only is a way of filtering or reducing the amount of firearms that can be legally sold in Massachusetts. It has zero. And the amazing thing is the attorney general, when he sent out the letter in 1998, he said, because Glock doesn't have a loaded chamber indicator, it is an unsafe gun for you to own. And everyone should go right now and turn these guns into their local dealer where they bought them. Glock has agreed to buy them back. And you don't want these unsafe guns. Meanwhile, they make the law enforcement community exempt from the attorney general's regulations. So now what they're saying without saying is we want our cops to run around with these unsafe guns because 65% of police departments are using Glock. And so they're actually saying we want law enforcement to have unsafe guns, but they're too unsafe for the people to have. So go ahead and turn your gun in. It's just unbelievable. And that alone should, should cause it to be immediately dismissed. If you ask me that it's an unsafe gun, the fact that we trust you know, law enforcement with it or law enforcement can be trusted with it, even with the fact that a lot of the gun owning community are better trained than police officers, in, in my opinion. So I, I was going to hit on that. Yeah. I was going to hit on most cops have no clue other than they have to qualify once a year. And otherwise, they don't know what the thing is. Yeah. So there you have it. That's basically the gun laws in a nutshell in Massachusetts. Actually, that's the scrap tip of the iceberg, really. But and they're all just as ridiculous. So, so now, now you can have a polymerate. You can build a polymerate in Massachusetts, right? Yeah. So here's the crazy thing, and you, 
I could even buy a Glock frame, if you will. If I found one on GunBroker, had it shipped into a local gun dealer, and they can do a transfer. Massachusetts does not recognize a frame as a firearm, even though the feds do. <laughs> right. That's crazy. It's incredible. And so the only way it's a gun under Massachusetts law is when it goes bang. So if you buy a frame and then you buy a slide or a polymer 80 and you mill it all out yourself and then you put it all together and it goes bang, now you have seven days to register the gun with the state. And there's no law that says you can't own any gun. So I can own guns that are off the list. You know, if there's like Desert Eagle, if you will, or or say a Taurus judge that's not on the list. I move here from some other state. I can bring it with me. I register it when I get here. And now I can even sell it privately. I just can't sell it through a dealer, which is crazy. Like the dealer that does the background wow. can't sell the gun. But, the, you know, the two guys who want to sell it to each other, that's perfectly legal. So there's no law that says I can't own the gun. There's just a law that says... A dealer can't sell it to you. So I, yeah. I have a serious question here, and this is one that would probably clear up a lot of information for everyone out there. How much crack were the guys smoking when they came up with these laws? <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with you there. And the perfect example is this is what happens when non-gun people decide to wade into the deep end of the pool and start to try to make laws that make sense to non-gun people, but don't make sense to gun people because we're all like laughing our, laughing our collective asses off over here. But yet the, the ignorance is glaring when it comes to, and they really can't get it right. I mean, they've, they, they can't get it right no matter what they do. And, you know, you'll just take even people who propose this stuff federally, it's, they're all cut out of the same cloth. Really, the end result is, how do we ban guns? And this is just the incremental process. It's the camel under the tent. And so, you know. It's the little steps. Yeah, it's the, the little drips. steps. Death by a thousand cuts, you know. Yep, yep. Somebody was watching Ho Chi Minh because they probably share the same uh, political ideology as him. So that's a death by a thousand paper cuts. I can't have, I can't buy a Gen Five Glock in Massachusetts, but I could have a Gen Five Glock frame sent to your store. Buy it, do a bed forty four seventy three on it, mm -hmm. and then say, "Hey, that slide over there looks real cool. Can I uh, have that slide in barrel assembly?" Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely no law that prevents us from doing that. Wow. And there's a lot of people that do it. And uh, wow. we sell frames all the time. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and it's one thing I'm thankful for. Let's put it that way, the, that, that their ignorance has allowed us a little bit of a workaround as inconvenient as it is. But um, anyway. That's uh, almost as crazy as the Colorado magazine, the, like law where you know you can't buy it assembled, but you can get it unassembled and assemble it yourself. I mean, it's just <laughs> a screen, a follower, and a base plate. Yeah. So somehow that makes I, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> I'm All thankful right. that good gun cranks don't actually make laws. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what. It, it seems to me that some of these stupid laws are getting better and better. Hmm. You know, or more savvy, more savvy people are writing them. And, and when I say better and better, that was the wrong choice of words. You know, oh. more gun knowledgeable people are writing them. Yeah, not in Massachusetts, thankfully. The, I, we've been at like this Mexican standoff in Massachusetts. No like new laws have emerged in the last four or five years and no favorable gun laws have come out in the past four or five years either so mm -hmm. i think they're kind of at this like impasse even though every year in every legislative session the usual suspects all the usual uh gun banning senators and congressmen propose their bill to ban handguns to ban you know pre-ban 
uh, magazines to the end, semi-automatic, you know, everything. And, and uh, they get, they don't usually make it out of committee, thankfully. So. All right. So G Webs has got another question. He's asking, do you get feedback from the shop customers on the two-way element of your efforts online? Um, I guess I do in the comments, I do in the reviews of our shop, I do in the, um, you know, the business I do online, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I, I've just started to wade into the online community as a gun guy in the past year and a half. So mm -hmm. you know, my, my following is very limited. My exposure is very limited. Um, I do a radio show locally that just got picked up. And I think G-Web's picked this up in Tucson. Um, we're on in Tucson, Arizona now, and we're on oh, in cool. Jackson. Yeah, and we're on in Jacksonville, Florida too. So um, those two shows have started to expand our reach a little bit and people are starting to find the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. But this is, someone asked earlier if this is my first time on the John Crump show and it is. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I start to get a little bit more exposure and, you know, start to do a little bit more of this type, type of round table or, or online, uh, you know, shows, which I love doing. It's a lot of fun for me. And, and uh, you know, it's always fun to tell people what it's like to live, you know, behind the iron curtain here in Massachusetts and watch heads explode. Like, how can you live like that? You know, but uh, that's basically what it comes down to. But really, it's also about um, expanding the knowledge to people of what can happen if you don't keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in your communities. And, you know, the question earlier, what can we do to change it is the best way is prevent it from happening in the first place. Um, and, you know, really monitor it and really elect pro-gun candidates because once it happens, you live with it for a long time. We're living with the assault weapons ban from 1994 that the rest of the country had the luxury of having it sunset, but Massachusetts made it permanent in 98. So that's, uh, that's really my role now is just educating people. And the last two years has been a lot of people, like you said earlier, uh, Rich, the people who thought it was easier to get a library book than it was right, right. to buy a gun. Those people walking in our gun store, like deer in the headlights, looking around like, um, I'd like to buy a gun. How do I do that? And it's like, <laughs> okay, you got a minute. I'm going to sit you down and tell you. And then when I tell them, they're just about in tears. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I need a gun now. Things are getting crazy. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. Like, Dang it. You know, you should have thought of that. That's, that's my favorite you episode. Right. Yeah. What's that? So now you understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Rich, I got something to tell you. Oh, no. Wolverines? What? So, uh, all right, CNT, I'm, I've been re I read this four or five times, and I'm not sure I understand what he's saying. He says, DLD after dark, uh, uh, dark here's said, one. Dark said that it's been four years since someone gave me a super chat. Oh, okay. And then it says, John, email me where to send the money so I can get a dust to do a video for me. So that's cameo.com, right, John? Yeah, but he wants me to come up with something for him. Oh, okay. Yeah, crumpy ss at, at uh, gmail.com there you go so i just to finish the crazy and i i often have a saying um about the atf like people are like oh well do you think the atf will this do you think the atf will that i'm like i say don't put your stuff in crazy and that's how i relate to the atf because I'm not crazy, I think, like a normal human being, so I can't tell you what the ATF is going to do or say on things. So I guess the last bit of crazy I want to ask you, and, and before we hit on that, Afghanistan is the land of the free compared to New York, where I grew up. Because in Long Island, it, there was no way you are going to even own a pistol, forget about getting a carry permit. Hmm. And... You, I, you have to get a permit for each firearm that you own in New York, and and I don't know if it's that way in uh, Massachusetts, 
But the last question, so it's a twofer. Uh, do you have to get a permit for each pistol and an AR-15? You can own an AR, but it has to be neutered. Can you tell us the neutering? Sure. Yeah, so we do not need a permit for each gun we buy, thank God. Wow. Um, yeah, thank the Lord. But uh, we've gone through an extensive process to get the license to carry. And we don't need, a, there used to be, like go back far enough, like when I first got my license to carry, you could take two routes. You could go the permit to purchase route where you would need a permit every gun you bought, or you could get the license to carry where you didn't need to ask permission every time you wanted to buy a gun. And most people ended up going the license to carry route and they realized the permit to purchase thing was kind of just an inconvenience for everyone. Like the police departments have enough to do. They don't need like you coming in every week. You want to buy a gun and say, here's an, I'm here for another permit. So whatever, it was taxing the resources. And I think the chiefs of police finally put an end to that. But um, so we, we do, we don't need to uh, do that. Fortunately, um, but we, it does take a long time to get the, to get the permit in the first place, the license to carry. And then, um, the second part of the question, you can only, this is again, it gets to the crazy, but right now for my store to sell an AR-15, it has to be true pre-ban, pre-94, just like the assault weapons ban, um, from the Clinton era. Uh, so we are living under that. There was a bunch of guns sold for 18 years or whatever the heck it was uh, under the post-ban configuration in this state and in the rest of the country from 1994 until 2016. So you could still buy AR-15s. They just had to be neutered. And those were you couldn't have a threaded barrel. You couldn't have a flash hider. You couldn't have a bayonet lug. You couldn't have a collapsible or folding stock. You're only allowed two evil features. A pistol grip is considered an evil feature and a detachable magazine is considered an evil feature. So basically, once you had the grip and the mag, that was your two evil features. So you couldn't have the rest of them. So the post-band configuration was basically no muzzle device, no threaded barrel, yada, yada, yada. And we sold guns like that until 2016 when our attorney general woke up one day and wanted a uh, job in the obviously going to happen Hillary Clinton administration. And so she postured before the Democratic National Convention. And on the day that'll live in infamy for us here in Massachusetts, which is 7-2016, she issued an enforcement notice to every dealer in the state and said, you can no longer sell any type of AR-15 because it is a clone to the enumerated gun on the 94 assault weapons ban. Same goes for AK-47s, the FNFAL, the um, Steyr AUG, the Uzi, uh, Tech 9 There's all those enumerated guns from the assault weapons ban in 94, which is ancient history probably to most of your listeners or, and you guys or whatever. So um, We get a lot of old people. Yeah, but we're, we're still living under that iron fist. You know what I mean? And so... All the guns that were sold prior to 7-2016, she grandfathered in and said, because you didn't realize you were committing a felonious act in purchasing these guns, we're going to allow you to keep them. But we reserve the right to charge you with a felony, even though we're, we're giving you the wink and the nod that we're not going to. And from this point on, if it meets the compatibility or the similarity test, you cannot sell it. So if it's basically Eugene Stoner's design or Kalishnikov's design, you can't sell it. And they even, even further extrapolated to use things like uh, similar extraction method and similar magwell oh, and wow. similar trigger. Yeah, oh yeah, and then it's similar. So a lot of dealers were going, oh my God, I can't even sell a semi-automatic gun anymore. And we kind of were like, all right, I guess we're not going to be able to sell AR-15s and AK-47s. We kind of went in that very narrow, you know, very strict vein. But there were guns that fell outside of those um, design criteria that we still continued to sell. Then, like, along the way, somebody got 
pretty smart and said, well, if it's originally built, it can't be altered for sale in the state of Massachusetts. So like I couldn't take one of these AR-15s behind me and make it into a gun that now meets the definition of like a 22 or something like that. So, but if we manufacture a gun from the ground up with a fixed magazine, all bets are off. It can't be considered an assault weapon with a fixed magazine. So we started doing these fixed mag AR-15s and using like the bear flag defense loaders or the mean arms MA loader that go in the ejection port and top load the magazine with 10 rounds. And then you just pull it out of the ejection port and the round goes forward and you're ready to go. So there's been a lot of sales in that vein. And a lot of people are really like crying when they buy one, but that's the way we've been able to do around it. But the irony of ironies is once you have the fixed magazine, now you can have all the other evil features. I can have bayonet lugs and folding stocks and collapsible stocks and flash hiders and threaded barrels and all that, because if it has a fixed mag, it cannot be considered an assault weapon. So, and, and Toby, I, I'm assuming that Massachusetts has an abnormally high number of bayonet injuries. Well, it, you know, I do feel safer sleeping at night, John, knowing that, I mean, no, Rich, that, you know, the mass bayonettings have ceased to happen since this ban was put into place. I feel, hmm. I feel yeah. so much better about it, you know? Yeah, like, uh, actually, honestly, in, like, a town that's, like, 20 minutes away from, away from me, they actually had a bayonet charge injury, but that was uh, <laughs> during the Battle of Massachusetts. Not Massachusetts, a battle of Manassas, also known Manassas. as battle of Bull Run. So you're you're saying like 220 years ago there, yeah, there was yeah. an issue. Yeah, there's an issue with bayonets. So mm -hmm. I can see. I, and you know what? There, if I'm I'm assuming all of these bayonet lug bands are are working because if it's been 220 years, exactly. Well, 220 years ago, they uh, in Concord and Lexington, they were going to round up all the ghost guns all those unserialized firearms from the Patriots and uh, Patriots shot him in the face and it was the shot heard around the world. And uh, they did affix bayonets too, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> you know, where Massachusetts, where freedom was born and went to die all in the same place. Yeah. My great, 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 great whatever grandfather was uh, Israel Putman, who was a general from the Battle of Bunker Hill. Putnam's still a big name around these parts. Yeah, that was um, a direct descendant. Hmm. I'm a direct descendant of a Winslow, which came over on the Mayflower. So, oh, my, yeah. So basically, our families were probably friends on the Mayflower. No kidding. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, uh, my uh, great, my ninth great grandfather was the second governor of the Plymouth Colony. Which one? Uh, well, let me get his name again. Wasn't Bradford? William Brewster. Oh, Brewster. Yeah. Yeah, William yeah. Brewster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, what it that's one of the towns real close to us, Brewster. Yeah, yeah that was. Uh, yep. And my ancestor was the United States' first international uh, diplomat. So Edward Winslow brokered the peace deal between Holland and England. Nice. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It was pretty cool. Nice. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Mayor, so, so basically, you're, uh, you're, you must be related to Mary Brewster, right? Probably. <laughs> you go back. Oh, this far is enough. this is cool. This is cool. Yeah. Mary, no, Mary Brewster was in the Pl Plymouth Colony. Yeah. Uh, she cooked. I mean, not Brewster. Oh, Winslow. Uh, oh, Susanna yeah. Winslow. Yes. Yep. Mary Brewster was my ninth great grandmother who cooked Thanksgiving dinner with Mary Winslow. No kidding. Interesting. Who was probably, if you're from the Winslows, that's probably your. your so our, our, our like grandmother from way back in the day cooked dinner. That's pretty each cool. Other. That's pretty cool. Crazy world, right? It really is. Yeah, you gotta do the DNA from ancestry.com, find out, uh, you know, how Mark brother, right? Yeah, yeah, brother John. That's funny. Yeah, yeah that's kind of, that's kind of funny. So, you're a direct descendant of the Winslow, yeah. 
My mother's maiden name, Winslow. Yep. All right. Oh, so, wow. Yep. So, yeah. So, our grandma, our grandmother from back in the day, uh, cooked Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving dinner together. Yeah. And I think it is nine generations for me because it was eight from my mom. So, yeah. So, it's nine generations from both of us. Mm-hmm. It's kind of freaking <laughs> funny, right? It, it is extremely funny. It's a small world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it is. <laughs> Boils down a Plymouth colony. Yeah, yeah. And the first Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Wow. There's a statue somewhere that has both of them together. Yeah, there's a really cool thing called the Forefathers Monument in Plymouth. And the amazing thing is I grew up, I don't know, 40 miles away from it. And we'd go to Plymouth Rock and Plymouth Plantation on school field trips every day. But I never once was even told about the forefathers monument and i discovered it like 10 years ago and it's this incredible uh monument you can google it or whatever and it has all of the passengers on the mayflower and the whole reason they came to america and the the hardships they faced and everything else but it's pretty it's pretty remarkable and uh, i didn't even know about it until like 10 years ago and i felt like my whole childhood was cheated because Going to see Plymouth Rock is extremely anticlimactic to a 12-year-old. You know, you're like, this is it? We just boarded the school bus and rode an hour for this, you know, but the forefathers... Let's get the teachers out of the class. Exactly, right? (laughs) But um, maybe they didn't want us to, you know, really know the true heritage and reason why the uh, pilgrims and all came by. But anyway, it's. I recommend you look into it. It's a pretty remarkable... Yeah, I was uh, doing a lot of research on different things and different statues and stuff. Hmm. And I ran, the only reason I knew Susanna Winslow is because I was looking up Mary Brewster and I found a statue of her with Susanna Winslow that's supposed to be a tribute to the first Thanksgiving Day dinner. Hmm. Amazing. Which I thought... Must have been a really good dinner if they made a statue to them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, we're still we're still making that dinner every year, so I guess it was pretty remarkable, right? Yeah, you can thank us, Rich. Yeah, there you go. Right. Thank you, Crumpy. We need we need <laughs> to charge some royalties to people. That's right. Right. You need to patent the Thanksgiving Day dinner. And yeah. <laughs> patent and copyright it. Exactly. I mean, it's only fair, right? So uh, we had one more question about 3D printing. Do you, are you involved in 3D printing at all, or, or for all the community? wrong reasons? Like, here's one of my designs: oh. 3D printing my mag block limiter so that I can, you know, limit the magazine to ten rounds, <laughs> and now sell it with the gun. You know, uh, but I I do want to branch out a little bit into 3D printing a little more once I, you know, get a uh, a model for every magazine for every gun we sell because it makes a lot of sense for us to print those in house. But, um, I just, I'm ordering a 3d, uh, I mean, not a 3d, a, uh, laser engraver too. So we're going to get oh, into cool. a little bit of that. Yeah. And, um, we, we hosted the, uh, gun makers match mm-hmm. regional gun makers match here a few, I guess about six months ago now. Ah, it wasn't even that long ago. And uh, we had a good time with that. And a lot of people built their first gun, myself included. And then we went out and shot it in a friendly competition and uh, had a great day. It was a two day event. Um, And, you know, so we've just been getting into me personally, into some of the homemade firearms, home built firearms, which is Mm -hmm. amazingly still legal here in Massachusetts, but um, hopefully, uh, It'll continue to be legal nationally. We'll see how that all plays out. Yeah. But. Illinois just passed a law that if you get to serialize your 3D printed firearms. Yeah. And we were not really there yet. You could still have an unserialized firearm, but you still had to register it. So if you built the gun, you had to register it and just put like NSN in the, as the serial number. And of course, if you ever wanted to sell it, you'd have to serialize it. But um yeah. yeah, well, they want they want you to. Well, the reason why they said that you need you need to serialize your three D printed gun is to stop domestic abusers from three D printing the gun. Oh yeah, that's exactly what they're going to think about. Yeah, that. Uh, if it weren't for that serial number. Yeah, 
Like I can't murder you because I don't have a gun with a serial number. So, you know, it's it's, it's stupid. It all is. It all boils down to stupid. It really does. I mean, I don't know if you collectively add up all the federal and state gun laws. Someone once pitched a number of like 30,000 gun laws and regulations that we have to deal with between federal, state, and, uh, you know, regulations. And 30,001 isn't going to make anyone a, a little safer. You know what I mean? It just doesn't work. I think it's a proven failure and you know, half the country's getting it right and realizing that. And then you have states well, like ours. My, like, my car has a serial number on it and it, it doesn't run red lights, doesn't speed and doesn't park in towway zones. It's amazing what serial numbers do. <laughs> yeah, those serial numbers. Yeah, keeping us honest. I, oh boy, I got a bad joke, but I probably shouldn't make it on, <clears throat> on the air. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, that's probably a, a, like a bad idea. Serial numbers have stopped so many crimes in the past, you know. Mm-hmm. The ghost guns, right? They're Casper the ghost guns. They're, it's, you know, I always say it all the time repeatedly, like, you know, if you're already committing murder and mayhem and you're, owning the high capacity magazine illegally and you stole the gun and obliterated the serial numbers and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's no law that you can create that is going to, I know I'm preaching about You can't fix evil. Yeah, that's right. It's pure evil. And, And the point, there's more murder homicide in England where they don't have firearms. The difference is they beat you to death. I'm like, I think I'd rather be shot. I want to die in my sleep, like when I'm old. <laughs> well, if, if I had a sh- sh- choice of being shot in the States versus beaten to death, pummeled to death in England, I'll, I'll take getting shot in the States. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things where um, it's just not, I mean, I, I don't know, man. Uh, politicians confuse me. But then again, they probably confuse everyone. So there is that. All right. All right well, we got to get out of here. I'm going to start my premiere on my other channel because this one is going to probably be controversial because it always is when I do that about a certain company. But yeah, yeah, I want to thank you so much from going and for, from coming on. You can find Flying Rich at Flying Rich on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram, where it's Flying Rich underscore official. Don't forget to check out his MySpace and go to local.flyingrich.com because you're the only one on MySpace. And you can find me at local.johncrum.com and at John Crump News and Ammo Land. And I'm going to kick it over to Toby for the final words. Well, thank you guys very much for having me on. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And I'd love to, anytime you want me, you just let me know. And uh, you can find us at capegunworks.com or all of our social media is at Cape Gunworks, except Instagram, which nuked our whole page last week. They nuked it? Wow. Yep, we're gone. So now it's CGW underscore backup. And it's you know, eight years of content in the wind. So unfortunately that's the way it is. And a lot of good content, if I do say so myself, but uh, it was, uh, so if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's CGW underscore backup, but yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. I, anytime you need me, let me know. And I'm sure I'd love to have one of you guys on my show again. Uh, I was great the first time with John and Rich will get you on one of these times too. So Sure. Uh, we our our radio show is rapid fire. So yeah, it's, a good, it's a great show. I listen to it. Oh, cool. That's great. I'm I'm honored. So thanks All right, a lot, guys. guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, guys. We will see you next week. Enjoy your weekend. Bye bye. Oh, oh. All right. <laughs>